Good evening, guys. Nobody's leaving yet, right? Join me as we open in prayer. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we do thank you that you have given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of you. We thank you for your word. We know that your word is all-sufficient for instruction, correction, and reproof. And we thank you that as we look to your word this day and as we look to this book that you've provided for us through Warren Worsby, that we can get from it those things that would help us to be effective tools in your hand. So, Father, go before us now, make our hearts ready, and uh, we, we just look forward to that which you have in store for us this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Worsby begins the book by telling us that it's designed for ministers within a small M, and for those that are in full-time Christian service, those ministers with a capital M. And um, they're both essential for the building of his church. We're all laborers together in the Lord, and, and, but frankly, the word minister itself really just means one who serves. The Bible says nothing about lay or clergy. These are man-given terms. These are pedestals that men put men upon. We're all the same in Christ. And we should be seeking to use his God-given gifts as he sees fit. I've had the privilege in my lifetime to serve as a small M and as a capital M. And I've got to tell you, they're both important positions in life. But it's really ultimately all about being available. Just being available. So I really want to thank uh, Pastors Ray and, and um, Richard for allowing me to share tonight. And... Um, Let's uh, get right into what we're studying tonight. Chapters 25, 6, and 27. 20, chapter 25 is about how to handle disappointments in ministry. Ch- chapter 26 is about uh, what motivates us to serve, pleasing God versus working for rewards, be them earthly or heavenly. And chapter 27 is serving on a bad day or when you're just not at your best. Ministry is not always easy. There are people and things that you run across that make for some pretty hard days. The Reverend Billy Graham tells a story when he was a young preacher going from town to town. He was going to this small town to preach a sermon, and he asked this young boy um, where the post office was because he needed to mail a letter. And the boy told him, and Dr. Graham thanked him, and he said to him, Son, if if you want to come to the church tonight, I'm going to be telling people how to get to heaven. The boy thought about it for a second and said, no, sir, I don't think I'll be there. You don't even know how to get to the post office. (laughs) So, in chapter 25, Warren Worsby begins by talking about how mountaintop experiences in ministry are often accompanied accompanied by deep valleys of disappointment and discouragement. We all know how how great it feels to accomplish something, be it that project at work or this um, to win that big game or maybe just the the satisfaction of seeing the smile on your wife's face when you do a good job or your mom's face. Um, But we also know how easy it is to to be brought down from that emotional high by a 
mistake or a decision. When we allow our emotions to rule our mood, that's our own fault. We need to be careful about that. But sometimes when the successes that we're celebrating are successes in ministry, um, the enemy is right there to steal your joy. Peter tell us that, tells us that Satan, your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour. He hates it when we accomplish things for God. From the very first He has been working to confuse man with lies. We need to learn to recognize when he's attempting to afflict us and to not listen to that deception. We all have a choice when those uh, times come. We can't say, the devil made me do it. For those of us old enough to remember Flip Wilson's bit on laughing, (laughs) Satan can only make suggestions. We have to act on them. We need to believe God's word instead, and not the devil. When God tells us to submit to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Often what hurts the most is the failure of people that we're trying to help. Part of serving is being available to those who need help whether it's serving in the children's ministry or a homeless ministry, there's work to be done out there and people depending on us. Ministry requires personal sacrifice and personal vulnerability. Ministry is always personal. At the very least, you're giving up your time and your treasure and your talent when you decide to serve. There's no room for selfish ambitions and, and gain in ministry. Most of the time, there's very little praise or even acknowledgement uh, offered for the work that you do. We do it as unto the Lord, knowing that he's called us and that your father who sees in secret will, reward, will, will himself reward you openly. But when ministry requires us to work up close and personal to people, maybe discipling them or maybe mentoring them, we can't help but to become vulnerable to them. We want what's best for them, and we're often even tempted to do it for them. We, strike, we need to strike a balance and be careful not to be their Holy Spirit or to be their enabler, but instead to be their coach or their teacher, or even their cheerleader. At my last church, when I first became leader of our one-step group, Breaking the Chains, I remember that I tried not to bond with anyone because I knew that I would get hurt if they went back out. I'd seen it over and over again in AA that sobriety often didn't last. And I decided... I was just not going to become too invested in anyone because it would just hurt too much. That wasn't what God wanted. He wanted me to develop a heart of compassion. He wanted me to to trust him to be sufficient during those times. Should I suffer disappointment because of someone else's failure? 
And sure enough, once I became involved in people's lives, they blew it or didn't keep their word or outright lied to me. And yeah, I got hurt and discouraged. There was a guy named Jim who came into my group, homeless, dirty. He confessed his sin, and over the next couple of months, I marveled as I watched God clean him up, both inside and out. He was a really intelligent guy, Jim was. I, got him a, I was able to help him get into a recovery home, help him get a job, even started integrating Jim into my family activities. He was doing great. We celebrated a whole year of sobriety for him, and it looked like Jim was on his way. All of a sudden, he started drinking, and he disappeared. He's gone. I went looking for him. Um, something I never did. Went searching. I was devastated. Three years later, I found him on a on a park on a uh, a bus bench. The most filthy. Um, the most filthy, um, low-level, homeless person that I'd ever run across. He didn't even recognize me. I was heartbroken. I was discouraged. I was devastated. What I ultimately learned was that God wanted me to grieve for Jim the same way that he grieves for us when we fall away from him. Grieve for him just like Jesus grieved for Jerusalem, his lost ones. Now as he drew near the city, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had only known, even you, especially in this day, the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. Jesus, grie Jesus grieved and wept for them because he wanted more for them. But he knew that left to their own devices, they would lose out from all that he wanted for them. We're no different. He wants, it, he wants more for us. But left to our own devices, we can lose out on that which he would have for us. I enjoyed in Worsby's book when he quoted Phillips Brooks, who was an Episcopal priest and an author, and most famous for writing the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Um, Brooks wrote, accept new happiness and new distresses. It is. It's nice. Good job. Okay. God does not bring distresses and disappointments our way without having an eye for how they are designed to improve us. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work in you to make you perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Instead of running to avoid challenges and distresses, know that God has a designed purpose for them for you, that you might be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. When Moses came down from the mountain, he exercised great leadership as he dealt with the sins of his people. But he also dealt with disappointment. 
We must learn to deal with disappointment the way he did. How? He went right back to the place of service and right back into the presence of the Lord and interceded for his people. The next time someone breaks your heart or fails you and you feel like you failed, go to the mount and ask God to show you his glory. Don't focus on yourself or even the people you serve. Focus on the glory of God instead. Worsby drew the comparison between Moses and Elijah. Both suffered disappointment, but Moses sought the glory of God to deal with his disappointment of his people's disobedience, while Elijah saw only his own failure and was ready to give up. If we don't see the glory on the mountain, we'll never face the discouragements in the valley, Worsby said. And ultimately both Moses and Elijah met each other on that mountain, that Mount of Transfiguration that we read about in Matthew 17, 1 through 8. What they were unable to accomplish on their own, Jesus did it for them, and they both achieved their victory in heaven. Let's not focus on our ability to do or not do something. Let's look at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, to do that which we cannot do for ourselves. Paul tells us in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death, if by any means I can attain the resurrection of the dead, from the, from the dead. Our ways are not God's ways. We do all that we can to avoid suffering. In God's economy, suffering and glory go together. Next, Worsby talks about what motivates us to serve. The concept of heavenly versus earthly rewards. There's a lot of ideas of exactly what goes on in heaven. All kinds of jokes and stories about heaven. For instance, the whole concept of St. Peter and the pearly gates. So, this man appears before the pearly gates and St. Peter asks, Have you ever done anything of particular measure? Well, I can think of one thing the man offers. Once I came upon a gang of high testosterone bikers who were threatening a young woman, and I told them, leave her alone. But they wouldn't listen. So I approached the largest and most heavily tattooed. I smacked him on the head, kicked over his bike, ripped out his nose ring, threw it on the ground, and told him, leave her alone or you'll answer to me. St. Peter was pretty impressed. He said, when did that happen? Ah, just a couple of minutes ago. <laughs> that said, heaven is no joking matter. It's God's gift to us because of what his son did for us. Yet although our salvation is a free gift, our works here on earth will be examined. 
the expression that all roads lead to heaven, it's true. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive that which is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. We will all appear at the judgment seat, and our works will be judged. Our motives will be examined. Not all of our works will endure the fire. Some will be burned away like wood, hay, and stubble. We must examine our hearts to make sure that we're seeking eternal treasures as we serve. But we should be careful not to serve the Lord with an eye toward heaven. If you're a believer, you are heaven-bound. But for now, you're called to serve here on the earth. Psalm 2.11 tells us to serve the Lord with fear and rejoicing. I'm sorry, with fear and rejoice with trembling. Our service is to be linked with reverence and rejoicing. The joy of the Lord grows out of our relationship with him. The fear of the Lord grows out of our responsibility to him. Do you have relationship with him? What does that look like? Do you rejoice because you get to serve the Lord? Or do you serve the Lord out of compulsion? Because you figure your life will go better if you do. Is he your close friend and confidant? If so, you'll want to be with him. You'll want his presence with you as you serve. Your relationship becomes your motivation to serve. What about the fear of the Lord? Do you revere him? Respect him? If you do, you want to be responsible to him. Do you serve God because you fear him? Because you revere him? Or because you're afraid of him? And what might happen if you don't? Those who reverence him serve him to please him. His pleasure becomes more important than your own. Kind of like in marriage, where her happiness should be more important than your own. God's pleasure becomes your motivation to serve. Let's be clear, guys. God doesn't have to give heavenly rewards for, for our works. He's done enough by providing his son for our redemption. It's just another testimony of his nature that he wants to bless his kids with rewards. In response to his great love, our aim should be to walk to please God. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us, that you ought to walk to please God. He alone sees our heart, our motives, while others see only our actions. You can fool others, but you can't fool him. I tried. 
If you remember my testimony, I wanted to be a pastor for all the wrong reasons. I loved the attention and the adulation. I failed and fell badly because my heart was not right. I had to learn that it's more important to please God than it is to please man. Worsby also points out that by keeping the judgment seat of Christ in mind as you serve the Lord, it will discourage you from being critical of other fellow workers. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. So let us each give an account for himself to God. Each of us shall give an account to himself for God. So while I should do all that I can to help my brother or sister that they might give a good accounting of themselves before they stand before God, I must be careful not to pass judgment upon them, on their motives, but only to encourage and judge their fruit. The final point in chapter 26 is that in chapter 26, is that all Christian workers at some point are unjustly accused. I once had a woman at the church, uh, at my old church, who was working in ministry with me, come to Teresa and me and tell, her, tell us that her husband was abusive to her. We listened, we believed her, and gave her godly counsel to separate from him for a season if she felt like her life was in danger. Next thing I know, I was called into the senior pastor's office where I was told that I should never suggest divorce to somebody. As you could imagine, I was really glad that I'd followed the direction and the rule that a man should never counsel a woman alone, and I had Teresa there to confirm that I'd never said that. But often in ministry, it only takes the accusation to bring you down. We need to avoid even the appearance of evil. So don't put yourself in a vulnerable spot. Men, especially those involved in ministry, should never be a confidant or counselor to a woman. Married men should never be alone with a woman who is not your wife, And avoid giving your opinion when you're counseling. Stick only to the word of God and biblical principles to answer people's questions. We don't hold the answers. The word of God holds the answers. Ultimately, when you're unjustly accused, you need to trust that the Lord who knows the truth will bring it to light. He is the ultimate judge. And he is a righteous one at that. In chapter 27, we discuss, how every Christ, we discuss how every Christian worker experiences bad days from time to time. And Worsby suggests that the best thing to do is to 
accept the situation, to smile, take a shower. I guess that's a good idea anyway. Get ready for the day and determine that you're going to do your best. Guys, acceptable Christian service is not based on feelings. It's based upon obedience. The problem with the post-1970s generation is that somehow we think that our feelings are the most important thing in the world. Grow up, guys. Feelings are great things to identify in your personal or love life, but they should not drive your adult working decisions. Basing your service on feelings will lead to a shallow ministry and one that thinks more about pleasing themselves than helping others. I love what Bob Jones said. The greatest ability is dependability. Dependability, being there, being available. That's the key. Let your word, not your feelings, be your bond. Scripture says, let your yes be yes and your no be. No. Bob Jones was a pretty amazing man. He was an American evangelist in the early 20th century, a pioneer in religious broadcasting, the founder and first president of Bob Jones University. Some of us are familiar with the Bob Jones curriculum that's used popularly in the Christian schools even today. He's also known for his creative use of the English language and for his chapel sayings. I want to share a couple with you. No doubt, the trouble is you. You and God make a majority in your community. The test of your character is what it takes to stop you. You can borrow brains, but you can't borrow character like that. Don't sacrifice the permanent on the altar of the immediate. It's never right to do wrong in order to get a chance to do right. The door to the room of success swings on the hinges of opposition. The measure of your responsibilities is the measure of your opportunities. Trust God as though it all depends on Him and work as though it all depends on you. Like it or not, you're going to have to live somewhere forever, so you better learn how to live. It's no disgrace to fail. It is a disgrace to do less than your best to keep from failing. The religions of this world say, do and live. The religion of the Bible says, live and do. And then tonight's, the one that he brought up, the greatest ability is dependability. A lot of times we rely upon, we want to rely upon our own ability to do something. After all, we know best. We're really able. On a bad day, 
the last thing you want to do is to rely upon your own ability and leave God out of the picture. Make up your mind that you're going to serve God no matter how you feel. Worsby reminds us that we need to keep the most vital appointment in every day, spending time alone with the Lord. I've developed a habit of asking God, okay, what are we going to do today, each morning? It's just my way of reminding myself that I'm not alone in this thing. And it's not all about me and my ability. I love the idea of praying your way through the day, day schedule that he brought up. I don't know if anybody else caught that. But he suggests praying yourself through your daytime. And we all have them. Pray your way through your schedule. Turning every commitment over to the Lord. I'm going to try to incorporate that one into my life. When you do this, you avoid thinking of your day as your own. You're going to do this, or you're going to do, you, you are going to do this, or you are going to do that. That's a whole lot of yous, and not a whole lot of us's. Teresa came up with a pretty cool expression this week. She said, we need to, do, we need to be used, U-S-E-D, um, rather than used, Y-O-U-E-D. And that was pretty cool. A lot of times it's all about you, but we're really seeking to be used. And we can't do that unless we get out of the way. That's one of the most important lessons I learned in my life, being such a, a large figure and having such a large ego like I naturally do in my flesh, is getting out of the way is the biggest part of ministry. Getting out of the way, let the glory of God shine through you. Let your light so shine before man that they'll see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let them see the good works, but get out of the way so that they can see from where the good works come. I have to remind myself over and over again, get out of the way, Mike. You're a big guy. Get out of the way. What about the distinction between an off day and a day off? Sometimes you want to take a day off when you're having an off day, right? Well, Worsby suggests that we turn off days into offer days. They offer you an opportunity to catch up with things that need to be done. The trivial yet important things that don't require much thought or energy, but still need to be done. Filing, cleaning, straightening, helping your wife with a chore that she's been asking you to do, catching up on reading. Basically, offering your day to the Lord and that he might empower you to go through. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. For us, it might sound more like, not by my might, not by my power, but by your spirit, God. Get me through my off day, O Lord of hosts. I spent enough time in support groups to know that you need to live your day a step at a time. Sometimes a moment at a time. The future is promised to no one, 
All we have is now. Gail Irwin, some of you might know who he is, famous speaker on the Calvary uh, um, Trail, is known to say that now doesn't last long. The minute you have it, it's gone. And it's another now. Kind of works like this. Now. 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 And you have another now. Let your off day happen one moment. Yeah, he's pretty corny. If you've seen Gail Irwin, he's the most corny guy in the world. Little bow tie and fat little suspenders. No, suspenders. Not a bow tie. Suspenders, right? Yeah. Real corny. Horrible jokes. Nice teacher. Nice guy, actually. Let your off day happen one moment at a time. Just keep taking steps throughout the day. One foot in front of the other. And soon you'll find that your off day will become an offering to the Lord. The next point in chat chat 27 is a tough one for me. Resist the temptation to tell others you don't feel good. Allow me to apologize publicly to you guys for my failure in this area. I'm still a work in progress. I grew up in Brooklyn with an Italian mom who grew up in a Jewish neighborhood. And she was overly concerned with how I felt. And subsequently, I learned at an early age that I could get attention and sympathy when I didn't feel good. Well, now it did lead to some really cool chicken soup days. Don't get me wrong. But it's taken me years of self-inflicted behavior modification to get to the point where I can overcome this habit of telling people how I feel or how bad I feel. Now, about four years ago, to that end, I began to make a conscious commitment, asking for the Lord's help in it, to make other people's concerns more important than my own. And now I try to ask about and listen to other people that God puts in my path so I'll know how to pray for them. So I'm getting better. But the fact is that we each quite naturally are stuck with this human condition of self-centeredness. Getting out of yourself and allowing God to take control is a lifelong event. But the more you do it, the um, more fruitful your life and your ministry will become. When you're not feeling well or when your health is an issue, give it to the Lord, recognizing that thankfully his bo- this body is only a temporary shell for us to inhabit while we're serving him. Therefore, do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we we do not look for things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So let's review. 
How should we handle disappointments in ministry? We should give it to the Lord, that the, knowing that the outcome is ultimately His. What motivates us to serve? We do it as unto the Lord, knowing that the outcome is ultimately His. And how do you serve the Lord on a bad day or on a day when you're not at your best? We serve Him as unto the Lord. We serve as unto the Lord knowing that the outcome is ultimately His. My brothers, serving is not about us. It's about Him. We just get the privilege of being a part of it when we make ourselves available. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that you have called each one of us by your divine appointment to be here this evening. We know, Father, that when your word goes forth, it does not go forth void. And we know that uh, your, your word is convicting hearts and teaching that which you would have us to know. We thank you, Lord, that, when, that as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. So we pray that as we gather together in this group, we can be that instrument used to you, for you to sharpen us one at a time. We thank you, Father, that your interest is in us is individual. We know, Father, that you know us intimately, that you made us, that you formed us, even in our mother's womb, and you, you know our thoughts and our, 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 our our mind, and you know our heart. So we pray that as we serve you, we pray that, and that our heart would be, uh, be, be uh, usable for you. We pray even now that those that were convicted and know that they need a change of heart might, during the quiet of this moment, pray to you that you might change their heart, that you might refresh them, that you might renew them, those that know you, Lord, we pray that you would give a new zeal to, Father. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come upon those in this room that need to be filled afresh and anew. I pray, Father, that you would inspire and motivate each one here to be the man of God that you would have him to be and make the changes or allow you to make those changes, to do that surgery necessary to make them the, the person that you would have them be so that they can fully serve you. And Father, for anyone here that does not know you, you know who that is. You know our hearts. We can't fool you. And we always give opportunity for anyone to, who does not know you to, to come to know you. So Father, it's not up to me to decide, but it's up to the person to decide if they need to know you in a more personal way or in a personal way or never, maybe have never accepted you. And if there's anyone that's joined us this evening that needs to accept Christ as his Lord and Savior, I'm just going to ask you to identify yourself by raising your hand. Give us an opportunity to pray for you this day. So, Lord, we thank you that each person here knows you and loves you and, and that you know them. And we thank you for this opportunity to examine your word. We pray that you go before us during the time of discussion, during the time of fellowship, 
and that you guide and direct our every thought and deed. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.